All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 33rd year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 640 points, or 1.9%. The S&P 500 last week was down about 121 points, or 2.8%. And the NASDAQ last week was down about 512 points, or 3.8%. Now, for the year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 7%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is down 10.4%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is down 17.9%. So I'm going to chalk up this past week on Wall Street as a tack of the Fed governor's rhetoric. Because as we got into the beginning of the week on Tuesday, I had a very nice nice uh, rally in the markets. And then Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, as more and more of the Fed governors started opening their mouth, um, the market started to react. And it's quite surprising because the things that they were saying is really not new news. And there's an old saying, it's, it's hard for the market to discount twice on the same piece of news. Well, that was proven wrong this past week. And when Jay Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve on Thursday, came out and pretty much confirmed that there's going to be a half of 1% increase at the next federal funds meeting, at the Fed fund meeting, the first week of May, uh, it seemed that the market uh, just didn't about face and rolled over and the selling continued and quite a deeper sell-off on Friday on no new news. Well, uh, we did have Netflix that came out with earnings, and that wasn't all positive. So that that did contribute to a little bit to the downside of the market. We well, I mean, the I mean, fang, the the in and fang, if you will. I mean, Netflix got taken out the woodshed, and and we've been talking about this in our portfolio strategy meetings. And this is important for any listener, any investor in these types of companies that look at user growth, that look at ARPU, which is average revenue per user, or they look at uh, subscriber base. 
if you're invested in stocks or companies that deal in these kind of uh, parameters as far as judging the quality of the company and its growth, these are the kind of companies that could really be taken out to the woodshed. And, Joe, since you brought it up, Netflix is the classic poster child for that because they saw a decrease of over 200,000 people in um, – and subscriptions when they were expecting a two and a half million uh, increase in subscriptions for the Netflix service, and we saw what happened to the stock uh, earlier this week. Now that would be a taken miss, out right? to the woodshed. That would be what we call yeah. a miss. All right, that Just would a be a, a, a that would be exactly that, yeah. As Bob Euchre would say, just a bit outside. So I would say to any listener that's invested, whether it's a Pinterest or a Snap or even I know Twitter, let's kind of separate that because it's got all this rigmarole that's going on with Elon Musk and it's in his potential buyout of Twitter. But you look at some of these, I mean, even Facebook, or as Jeff likes to call it, book face, because basically the way it's been performing, it's like getting hit in the face with a book. Uh, for the last couple of quarters, but I think any listener that's invested in these type of stocks that look at those particular parameters for judging the quality of the company and its future growth, it can be very, very suspect in here. So be very, very aware and know what you own in your portfolio. And if you're owning some of these stocks, you know, it could have its day in the barrel, as Jeff likes to say. So FANG, which is an, an acronym for Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google, Netflix, Netflix and, Google. and Google. Yeah. These, we'll call them the nifty, was it, five, six stocks? Mm-hmm. There was the nifty 50 in the 1970s, and we all, the markets eventually change, and the nifty 50 are no longer that nifty anymore. FANG has been a very popular group of stocks for investors to be involved in. If you look at the vast majority of large cap growth stock mutual funds, and even in some of these large cap uh, balanced mutual funds, FANG, these, these stocks are important components of the overall portfolio stock strategy. When you see Facebook and Netflix, two parts of FANG, fall by the wayside as much as they have here in the thing uh, Facebook was the first quarter. And we keep, and I keep referring to this Facebook. Yeah, I should be referring quarter. to as their new name. Meta. No, Meta. Meta. It's Meta. It's not Facebook. It's Meta, so Meta now, folks. Meta. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know. But I'm going to still call them Facebook. So Facebook yeah. took it in the chin in the first fourth quarter. quarter. Fourth quarter. I thought it was the first quarter. Okay. Thank you. What, for, that for, came for, out in the first quarter, okay. but it was their fourth quarter. That's, why, that's what I meant. All yeah, right. so the, we knew what you meant. We've had we've had that happen earlier this year with Facebook, and now we've had this happen with Netflix. Now, what do we have occurring next week? The remaining members of Fang are all reporting next week. Two of them on Tuesday and two of them on Thursday. On Thursday. Is that correct? Well, Microsoft, which wasn't part of Fang, but Microsoft will be That's announcing right. earnings right. next right. week as well. But, micro, but Microsoft is also a a part of this these big growth stock names. And so you've had two of the poster children really fall out of bed, especially Netflix in the last week. I think it's down 
in the last week it, or more. Yeah, I mean, and, it's, it's, and, it's and, and Facebook has gone down even further from its 20-plus percent slide the day that earnings came out. So there's some real concerns about the earnings reports that are going to be coming out from these from the poster child of gross stocks, these most widely held names across many different portfolios are reporting next week. And if there's slip-ups in any of those, the markets might have another repeat of what happened on Friday. And when, when we were down almost, you know, we were about, about down 1,000 points on the Dow. So I'm going to stop here and we'll come back after the break. Okay, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's Money Wise program, we're just recapping the happenings of Wall Street from this past week. And before we went to commercial break, we were talking about the FANG acronym. And as I was mentioning in the last segment, I think some of these tech companies that are dealing with um, user-based growth, Average daily users, ARPU, which is average revenue per user, these type of matrix that are big components of their earnings, that if they miss these components or a big miss in the case of Netflix, they're going to get taken out to the woodshed. Now, Jeff was mentioning that Facebook, now called Meta, really got to, had their day in the barrel from their fourth quarter earnings report, and then Netflix this past week just got absolutely clobbered. In fact, Facebook is off more than 52% from its 52-week high, where Netflix is now 69% below its 52-week high. So I was just saying to all of our listeners, if you're in these kind of tech names that deal in those particular matrix, you've got to be very, very careful and make sure you know what you own and not having too large of an exposure in these stocks. And as we've always educated on the Money Wise program, you don't want to have more than 5% of your investable net, net worth in any one individual stock, period. And, and the- in the interest of full disclosure, we have not owned Facebook in years, I believe. In years. It's been and a, I don't, quite a and long I don't period of time. I don't think we've ever owned Netflix in never. our portfolios. Never owned, never owned Netflix. <clears throat> and, and they have a lot of competition. But if you're looking at Disney, which has Disney Plus, if you look, I mean, now Apple, now we've got Apple earnings. They're going to be coming out. Uh, they're going to be coming out Thursday. on Thursday. 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 Now, a small component of Apple's revenue is from Apple TV, but I don't think too many people are looking for Apple TV to be a giant revenue driver. It's just another revenue stream for Apple. But you look at some of these other technology companies, whether it's Google, Amazon, um, you look at Microsoft, you look at Apple, all these companies have multiple revenue streams, and these are really the behemoths in the industries 
that they're in. But this next week of earnings is really going to be one of the most important weeks, wouldn't you guys say, for earnings Jeff, for Jeff the first had a really quarter? interesting analogy during the break about the bachelorette, Jeff. I want you to tie so we can have no, some no, bachelorette. They the always week. say it's, you know, it's the most dramatic ending ever in the history of 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 whatever show, yeah, whatever season that was. Uh, next week is going to be pretty dramatic when it comes to uh, earnings be- because with the fact that we've had these two components of Fang fall by by the wayside so much here in the last four months, uh, there's going to be a lot of a lot of scrutiny of the earnings of the growth rate. Uh, each one of those, you know. You know you do, you may not think about this, but Microsoft does have its own subscriber base. We're subscribers to their office suite of products. Um, even though that might be just one of their multiple revenue streams, it might get a, a larger than normal attention paid to it because of what's happened in these other stocks and how they've had these this this daily user drop off. If they see if they see anything if in their earnings about subscriber declines or, or cuts in growth rate of subscribers into various services at all these companies, you know, Amazon has Amazon Prime. You know, it's it's are people are anybody cutting back on their Amazon Prime service? You know, will they be looking at subscribers there? Yes, I know they have AWS and they have all their other services that they provide. I just but think see, they're that again, Jeff, they're just they're, they're just component they're just components of giant conglomerate companies. My point is is that these smaller components may get a may get really heavily scrutinized and if they see some if investors see something in there that they don't like, it's sell the stock now and ask questions later. The market's pretty fickle and I think I do agree with Jeff. It could be one little component which could cause the stock to sell off. And I hope that's not the case because you have to look at, you know, you have to look at the sum of the parts. And I think it's less about, I think it's less about the earnings that are being reported from the quarter just passed. And it's more, and it's more about the outlook. How, you know, what are these companies doing in terms of changing their outlook? As, as, are they bringing down expectations? How much are they bringing down expectations? Has the the market market response? How the market has the market has the market already adequately in the market's mind priced in expectations that might get lowered again. These are all the big question marks. Now, I was saying, what what was Friday and the the market action on Friday? Some kind of indication that that someone knows something that's getting ready to happen next week, and that's what was happening. That's why we had this 1,000-point down day on the Dow, because the Dow has been holding up very well. Those 30 stocks, the Dow has been in the lead all year long, and the Dow has been the laggard for an extended period of time when it comes to the three major indexes. It's been NASDAQ 1, S&P 2, Dow 3. But the Dow has been number one practically all year long. and you know, the Dow really took it in the chin, you know, in terms of I think percentage loss, the Dow was was near the top on Friday. It was something we haven't we haven't really seen uh here of late. But you know, the Dow is still outperforming the S P by about three percent. But that 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 
performance differential has been has been wider. There are several components of the Dow that are you know that are part of that part of Fang that are going to be reporting next week, and you know I'm just I am less confident that we're going to get something good out of those four stocks next week. I think at least one of them may have a minus ten percent on their earnings report. At least one. Well, I, I just, I just not to get too deep in the technical weeds. I was just, you know, one thing I look at as, as we all look at as, as asset managers, is we look at volume. We look at volume of money, of, of money changing hands in the market on a daily, weekly basis, and we have charts that keep kind of a moving average over the course of time. And the one thing I have noticed that started on March 21st, now going on for a month, is that we have seen volumes each and every day well below the moving average, which tells me that this right now is much more of a trader market, more of the renters of stocks as opposed to the long-term longer-term owners of stocks, what it's telling me is that for the longer-term managers who want to raise cash, that cash has been pretty much raised. Because when you see spikes of volume above the daily averages, that really tells you that you're seeing a lot more institutional money managers coming in and unloading larger positions, larger blocks of particular stocks. But what I'm seeing in the volume is that it's telling me that Yes, we see volatility. Yes, we've seen the markets come down the last three days from this past week. But it wasn't from a bunch of professional long-term money managers and big institutions dumping huge amounts of stock in the overall market. Personally, I feel that we have basically, we have basically been in a trading range going back to March 21st. And what the volume is telling me is that the people that are participating in the market right now are the renters and the short-term owners and traders of stock, not the longer-term money managers or the longer-term owners of stocks like we are here at Davidson Capital Management for our clients. That's what it's telling me. And when you have low volume is when you have a lot more volatility. When you look at the technical charts, we have been in a trading range going back and forth over the 50-day moving average going back to March 21st. So what is going to be the catalyst to bring in the longer-term money, the bigger institutional money that has been raised and is sitting in cash? Because, I mean, we can look at our portfolios. You know, we're sitting on an exorbitant amount of cash, I would say, from an historic standpoint. Wouldn't you say, Jeff? I mean, most of our clients, 15 to 20%. You don't think so? No, not an exorbitant amount. No. I, I'll say this: Kyle, <laughs> over the last three years, over the last three years. Hold on, now you're short. Let, time me, let me talk for in a second. In the last three okay. years, yes. Go ahead, let, Joe. Let, let let Little Bear eat for a second. That's my nickname. For some people that don't know. <laughs> if you look at some of these big institutional money managers, I'm looking at one right now. One of the biggest balance funds out there. Kyle, you want to take a guess at what their cash position is? You tell Jeff, me, you Joe. Take a guess. A little over 2%, 2.5%. 2.5%. So, there you go. And if you look at a lot of these these target date funds, it's the same thing. They're now, invested. Yeah, they're, they're, invested they're, they're invested. They're, they're holding their line. They're holding their line. They don't have as much powder available. If you look at their top 10 holdings, a majority of you know, their top 10 holdings, it's Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Tesla, Alphabet, and a pretty big percentage of those. So that tells, to Kyle's point, institutional money is staying pat right now. 
and it's circling the field, or what do you call it, Kyle? Circling the bases yeah, or whatever. Just, yeah, they're just it's it's circling the runway. They're just but, circling but the field. But but right. But we gotta we gotta pause right here. We'll pick this up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, just continuing to recap Wall Street from this past week. And I know I got a little bit in the technical weeds talking about the volume, the flow of money in and out of the markets going back to March 21st. And what I'm seeing in the technical charts is just this decreased level of volume. And so when you have less volume, you have less participants. And I think that what we're seeing, particularly this past week, where we saw the big down day on Friday, Thursday, and even some selling on Wednesday, that it's not it's not so much that a lot of investors are going out and just dumping and getting out of the market. It's really just more of an absence of buying, and the traders are trading. The algorithms are doing what the algorithms do, and so there's a lot more of the longer-term money like we have, you know, higher levels of cash in our portfolio, and we're circling the field. We're circling the field looking for potential buying opportunities, and those buying opportunities, they might be six weeks from now. They might be three months from now, but we're just holding on to a higher level of cash. And if you want to be able to take advantage of market pullbacks, you actually have to have cash in your portfolio to be able to do some buying. And so – From a volume standpoint, this is just lighter volume, and lighter volume can create a lot more volatility. So I guess I'm bringing this up to all of our listeners uh, to come back to the base case of keeping your emotions in check. Remembering why you're investing, remember that you have to take that long-term view and that there can be a lot of volatility, a lot of frequency in the market, but you have to think to yourself, I'm retired. I've saved my nest egg. I'm investing my nest egg. Do I need every single dollar in my portfolio in the next six months? The answer is no, you don't. So then why would you completely get out and be 100% in cash? It's not the all-in, all-out strategy is statistically a failed and proven strategy to be a failure. But you have to have a proper balance. You have have to have active management. And I will say this, no matter who you're working with, if they haven't made any adjustments or changes in your portfolio from the beginning of the year, you need to be asking the big question of why. Why have you not made any adjustments or changes? And, and part Joe, of your fee, real quickly, we were talking about this before the show. If you're paying a fee, what are you paying that fee for? Yes, part of it is active money management. The other part of it is having somebody that you could talk to that could keep you on that path and make sure you're focusing on the long term. Because regardless of what happens next, you know, going into next week with earnings, you're still going to have to somehow or another beat inflation over the long run. 
All right. You're not going to be able to do that in bonds. You're not going to be able to do it in cash. And you got property that's great, but how liquid is property? Liquid is property. You're talking about a bubble that's probably going to burst. What are property values at right now? You haven't just got your valuation on, on your home or your second house that you've got. So you got to keep that in mind. Focus on the long run and know that over the long period of time, stocks are going to give you the best chance out to outpace inflation and be able to generate a retirement income stream for you. And with bonds and a combination of cash. Jeff, sorry. How to get that out? Okay. So in terms of cash, uh, we had higher cash at the end of March of 2020. We had higher cash at the depths of the financial crisis than we have right now. Yes, we do have in our, in our portfolios right now today, we have more cash than we've had in two years. That's the last time we had cash this high. We were actually even higher than this. It was for a very short period of time, basically a handful of weeks uh, going from, Mar- in, from March of 2020 into April. And in, the, and in the depths of the financial crisis, we got to as low as like tw- high 20% allocations to stocks. We were like 28%, I think, in a, in a moderate asset allocation portfolio. And that would probably be, if I was to go back and look, the lowest allocation of stocks that we've ever had. Well, right now, mathematically, we're going to call it 50% invested in in uh, in stocks but the other 50% is in a much different mix than we've had in the history of our company because we have a good portion of that that 15% that Kyle was talking about just in cash and then the rest of it is split between investments that profit when interest rates go higher and investments whose income uh, adjusts higher each month as as interest rates go higher, and both of those investments as a group have outperformed bond indexes by tremendously huge margins. We basically have positive numbers this year in our fixed income portfolio, and that is unheard of in a year like this because most we are in terms of relative performance and bond indexes broad bond indexes broad investment grade bond indexes they're having the worst performance in 40 years 40 i was a i was a sophomore in high school the last time bond performance was this bad and the reason i say this let me have a little talk here k man before you start waving your arms I had a client. I talked to a client today, actually on Friday, that was very concerned about what's happening in the stock market. And we understand, you know, we're cons- we're concerned too. That's why we're allocated the way that we're allocated. And he was saying, you know, I think this is really the time that maybe I should have more of my money in bonds. Clearly, he needed to have a little bit of education, and I was more than happy to deliver some education on how different 2022 is to many years in the past. Typically, when stocks aren't doing well, bonds are. Well, this year, we got both challenged. Bonds challenged by the most they've been in four decades. So, no, this is definitely not the time to be taking money out of stocks and putting it into any bond, mutual fund, or exchange-traded fund 
that has that, that's investing in bond maturities out one year or more. Because you're liable, you're liable to lose some money. And if you're buying long maturity bonds, you're liable to, to lose a lot of money as interest rates continue to go up. We've been considering another novel idea in, our, in the bond portion of our portfolio, actually taking some of the cash that we have on the sidelines and investing it in a single government instrument and rolling that instrument oh, yeah, periodically, you know, three to six months rolling it out to increase the income in the portfolio. We haven't executed that strategy yet, but I guarantee you there isn't anybody in the legacy distribution system thinking about novel ideas to try to protect their clients in the fixed income portion of their portfolio. I guarantee you that all of these people that are invested at the legacy distribution system still own bond funds in their portfolio or still have long or medium maturity bond exchange traded funds in their portfolio. And the question, ladies and gentlemen, is why? And if your advisor can't answer that question, maybe you should be thinking about a different advisor. Because if you have the worst performance in 40 years in bonds, and your advisor hasn't done anything about it, what the heck are you paying him for? That's all I got to say. Jeff, that's like church. Drop he, just dropped, he just dropped the mic. Right, I'm dropping the mic right there. You're, you're going you're gonna, you're gonna to have to get that handkerchief and wipe off the sweat well, off your brow. It, it, Actually, it, it, hold on, Joe. Hold on, Joe. I just wanted to add some color to what Jeff was talking about with some actual numbers, talking about bonds. Now, these numbers are through Thursday because we record the show on Friday after the close. But on, on Thursday's close, the Bloomberg U.S. Corporate Investment Grade Bond Index is down 12% year-to-date. Wow. That is what actually is that underperforming. What is that annualized to if it's down 12% year-to-date? Multiply it times three. That's 36%. You're 36%. So let's look at the U.S. complete aggregate, which includes government bonds, treasuries, and includes corporate bonds. It's down 9.31%. Even a shorter U.S. corporate index of only one- to three-year maturities is down 3.13%. And we've talked about it on this program, how unusual 2022 is, where you have both the bond market negative and the stock market negative. And all the changes that we made on day one of the new year, on January the 3rd, all the changes we made on the fixed income side of our portfolio have been dead-on accurate. Down accurate. Yeah, Joe. I do a lot of research, and this kind of hopefully wraps everything in. That's all I've been doing is 401k research, and we're talking. And Jeff and I love to hit the the uh, target date pinata every once in a while. We had Fiesta a couple weeks ago, but the 2025 Morningstar uh, uh, target date benchmark for the year, as of close of Thursday, is down 8.14. Why? Because they can't control the duration in their bonds. That's a big reason behind that. You know what the other reason is, Joe? The other reason is because they always have 1% or 2% cash. They don't manage the portfolios. There is no active management going on. And that's one thing I should have should have tried to plug into what expand on what you'd said in the last segment. I see we're coming up to the end of this one, so I'm going to save it for the next segment. 
Okay, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, Jeff, I know you got your point got cut off by the commercial break. Wanting to talk about again active management uh, and a conversation that you had with a client this past week about you know bonds and owning more bonds in the portfolio and how it, this year is definitely not yeah. that year for that. I, I mean, I I totally understand the thinking. It's it's very classical way of thinking about uh, portfolio allocation when. It, when things appear to be even more unclear than they typically are, because the, the waters are always not clear, but they're definitely even more unclear this year, that the logical change that you would make in the portfolio is to have less money in stocks and more money in bonds and cash until things became a little more clear. The problem this year is is that you can't hide in bonds. Bonds are hurting you just as much uh, as stocks, especially if you're in in the long maturity bonds, they're Actually really hurting. More. Yeah, you they're, more. they're hurting you more. But we've been warning people about this for years, and we've been talking about these target date funds that Joe had mentioned in the previous segment because target date funds are now the de facto uh, default investment option in the vast majority of 401k plans. And they're going to place you in one of these default investment options based on your age. And the 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 time frame that Joe had mentioned, the 2025 target date fund, is what I would consider to be most comparable in terms of its average overall allocation to stocks to bonds, what we would have in a typical moderate asset allocation portfolio. So when I'm trying when we're we're always measuring our performance. We're always comparing our performance to what others are doing out there because there's all there's all this information available. And, it's and very we're easy very to make hard comparisons. Ourselves. Our listeners we're, need to know. We're supposed to. Very difficult. We're supposed to be. Yeah, we're very hard. So, so you know, I track uh, was I eight different target date funds that I track from the most conservative to the most aggressive. The most conservative would be a target date fund, say, of a 2010. You know, from 12 years ago. That would have the highest allocation to bonds, the lowest allocation to stocks. Well, the difference in performance between the most conservative and the most aggressive target date, target date funds is about 2%. 2%. That is not a very big difference. So you're basically going to lose 7% in the most conservative target date fund the most aggressive that I track is a 2040. I know there's some 2050s out there. A target date of 2040 is going to be about negative 9%. Now, this is as of Thursday. The numbers are even worse because Friday was down. 
And I'll toot our horn a little bit. You know, let's talk about our performance. A moderate asset allocation portfolio, Davidson Capital, as a close of business Thursday, was down a little less than 6%. We'll just round it off at 6%. What's our conservative? Three. What was it called? Our conservative is three. Three. Okay. Our aggressive, I haven't actually, I didn't look at the aggressive, but the moderate is where we have the vast majority of our clients. Probably 75, 80% of our clients are invested in the moderate asset allocation. It's probably where the vast majority of our listener base would typically be invested. The point that I'm trying, the point that I'm trying to make here is that these target date funds are taken into the pants because of their bond positions. The balanced mutual funds out there, the mutual funds that are 50 to 70% allocated, to stocks, typically, they all got bonds in their portfolio. And if they didn't, if they didn't move their bonds around the way that we have, they're taking it in the pants too this year. So we're beating Schwab's balance. We're beating Vanguard's balance. We're beating Fidelity's balanced. We're beating T. Rowe Price balanced. And the reason that we're beating it this year is because we don't have the big allocations to the big, big cap mega growth tech names that a lot of them have. We don't own Facebook. We don't own Netflix. We don't we own dial, two. We, we, dial, so we far, dial back our PEs. We dial so, back our so PEs. So far, those two, those two parts of FANG have reported. There's more to come. The other thing is we made tremendous changes in the bond side portfolio. And yep. we think out, we've had to think outside the box on the bond side. I mean, that's what we had to do. The legacy distribution is 100% incapable of ever thinking outside the box. They do the same things every time. And Kyle happens to have a portfolio from the legacy well, distribution system. Imagine that's, that. It, yeah, imagine well, that. Well, Let's this, go, this, Kyle. Is, well, this is a prospective client out of Dallas who's now a new client. Uh, just sent off the paperwork um, yesterday. <clears throat> but doing a review, as we always offer all of our listeners, portfolio review and analysis that we do free of charge. Um, looking through their portfolio, this was a, uh, a younger couple. And in one portfolio, they had three separate bond mutual funds. But what was even more interesting is that these bond mutual funds, two of them were, excuse me, all three of them were in municipal bonds. Now, this couple, these new clients, they are not in a tax bracket that necessitates the need for the tax-free income that municipals provide. So right there is a head-scratcher. But then number two is why why are they in bonds at this age? And so what this portfolio tells me is exactly what the legacy distribution system does. You fill out a questionnaire. It tells you what your risk tolerance is. They plug it into their Monte Carlo analysis, and then whatever brokerage firm that you're with is going to backfill it with the proprietary relationships of the mutual fund families that they work with, and they're going to stick you in that allocation, and they're going to forget about you. And this is exactly what they did for this client. And the performance for the three-year performance really shows that they do absolutely nothing because the performance is absolutely atrocious compared to what we have done at Davidson Capital Management. But this is just a classic example of what the legacy distribution system does. You fill out a questionnaire, 
They put you in a Monte Carlo analysis based on the answers of your questionnaire. They backfill it with the proprietary mutual fund relationships they have revenue sharing agreements with. They put it in your portfolio, and then they just manage the relationship. The person that you're working with is simply managing the relationship, not managing your assets in real market time and real market conditions. That is not a registered investment advisor. That is not a portfolio manager. That is not a team sitting on the wall to make decisions in your portfolio when decisions need to be made because the markets are volatile. They change all the time, and you have to be able to look further and make those changes when changes need to be made. And this is one reason why we have the Money Wise program to educate each and every one of our listeners that you have options, you have choices, but you have to arm yourself with that knowledge and you have to dig deeper each and every time. With that, we're coming up to the top of our break. So we're going to take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you have an investment related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the money wise program you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com if you missed the first hour of money wise you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past money wise programs You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at DavidsonCap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, it's about time. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for your politeness. Well, as we we like to use and utilize uh, the second hour of every weekend's Money Wise program, really going into investor education, and just, again, the continuing education that all investors need to be paying attention to because with the multitude of investment choices, the multitude of sales outlets, I should say, uh, to be buying different financial products, um, we feel it's our duty having a voice and having this radio show to, to continue to provide that, that education. And there was an article that we've had for some time. We've talked about it on past shows, but it's always good to to reiterate. And it's a conversation I know that I have with prospective clients when it comes to investing. Um, and the, the title of the article is The Best Investment Advice Ever. <laughs> now, there's so much different advice out there, different guidance, different forms and levels of education out there. Um, you know, looking at this article, there's a very old saying that I know we have used 
from day one and of course with us uh you know being in this having davidson capital management for more than 25 years and and again this radio show going on now in our 10th year um looking at at rule number one for the best investment advice ever and that first rule is never lose money rule number two don't forget rule number one and i believe that uh that was one of warren buffett's Famous advice, and of course Warren Buffett being one of the richest men in the world, um, I think uh, it's good. It's good words to live by. And and when I sit down with prospective clients, the one the one area again of education I like to focus on is teaching a prospective client that it's not as much how well you do on the upside when the market is going up; it's how shallow you keep your hole on the downside. It's it's whoever plays the best defense is what's really going to build long-term wealth and longevity of a portfolio. Rule This rule number one, don't you think it's kind of unrealistic to say never lose money? Well, and, and, and again, investors need to keep in mind there's a difference between realized losses and unrealized losses or paper losses. Uh, maybe rule number one should should read more like never put all your eggs in one basket. Never but, put, but define never, that. Okay. Define that a little okay. bit more. Okay, eggs in one basket. Never put one hundred percent of your money in one asset class. How's that? Okay. Never put one hundred percent of your money in stocks. Give us an asset class like are Never. you talking sector specific, like all in real estate investment trusts or all in the material sector or all in technology? I think I think really the rule number one to me, and it kind of goes along the same lines as what you're talking about with keeping the hole shallow is there's no no such thing as never lose money. I mean, every investment does, we have never had an investment decision that we've made in the 25 years as Davidson Capital Management. Every investment decision that we've made has not always made money. Some of those investment decisions have lost money. There isn't a single person on the planet that's made an investment decision that hasn't lost money at one time or the other. The the really successful people in investing never lose a lot of money now keeping a that lot of money shallow. keeping the whole shallow as you were saying and 2008 is is a great example of keeping the hole the, the hole as shallow as possible because we were never 100% invested in stocks that year and we were also reducing stocks as that year went on and so we 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 didn't suffer the 35 our clients portfolios didn't suffer the 30 Five, 40, 50% losses that the investors that we saw come to us in 2009 and 2010, and we asked them, you know, how did you do in 2008? And they said, well, I lost 40% or I lost more than 40%. We knew right then and there that they had way too much money in stocks, if not their entire portfolio in stocks, and it wasn't being managed properly obviously. That's that's a key. It wasn't actively managed. It was an again that set it and forget it mentality that said and forget it portfolio so the the rule number one this never lose money and rule number two never forget rule number one is all fine and good but it's not realistic because if you're going to have a diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds cash and all different types of asset classes some of those asset classes aren't going to make money in a particular year some will uh, some will be more successful than others, 
But I think it's unrealistic to expect to never to lose money in, in investing. Because if, if rule number one, never lose money, that means you're never going to take risk. Which means you're going to be you're going to own CDs. Sorry to take your your thunder away, Dad. You're going to own government bonds and hold them to maturity, or you're going to own CDs or cash, or you're going to have cash. Well, that I don't know too many investors that can reach their retirement goals uh, just by being in cash or government bonds. Well, and, and again, when you are invested and you're invested in the stock market, even the bond market. When you look at an unrealized gain and loss report, if you're showing some unrealized losses, those are paper losses. Those are losses that you have not taken. It's just on paper. It's just numbers. But that loss can be will become realized if you decide to sell out. And what happened to a lot of investors in 2008 is they watched the ride all the way down. And then they got to their maximum pain threshold, and what did they do? They sold. And for a lot of investors, after they did that sell and the selling they did, they have yet to get back in. That's why we continue to face the very thin market conditions, the whipsawing of the markets, because there's fewer and fewer participants, because they still have not gotten back in, because they're still licking and and taking care of their wounds from 2008, because they sold out and turned those unrealized losses to realized losses. But if they had a proper allocation and having their assets actively managed, they wouldn't have suffered as much pain and distress in their portfolio as we have seen doing our portfolio reviews and analysis of prospective clients. So, well, we're going to pause right there. We're going to take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our investor education and talking about an article titled The Best Investment Advice Ever. And, you know, again, the old Warren Buffett saying, you know, rule number one, never lose money. Rule number two, never forget rule number one. And us just kind of really discussing how that's kind of unrealistic. Uh, Because like Jeff, like you said in the last segment, you're going to run into some type of losses, be it unrealized or realized losses, at some point in time in your investing career, unless you're invested in cash, which isn't an investment, CDs, or government bonds. You know, you have to take a certain level of risk. You have to assume a certain level of risk to have the potential for capital appreciation and growth of your assets to meet your retirement goals or for whatever goals that you're saving for. And, Dad, I know that you wanted to, the big dog wanted to eat a little bit and had something to add to, to what. We were just talking about. Well, I think I originally said this to you when you guys came into the business. Oh, you've been that, saying this f- that, as that, long that, as that, I can remember. These were basic rules of investing. I, I honestly think this is a little bit of a Will Rogers comment. I, I'm not so sure that Warren Buffett didn't steal this from from, from Will Rogers. He never met a man he didn't like. And and and, and what the, this means, you know, this is you know, this will be my 37th year starting my 38th year of being a portfolio manager, not counting the four years as a broker and one year in graduate school, so you can add all that up. But when I see this, what this really means to me 
is never lose big money. Never take big losses because you can't come back from them, whether it's financially or even psychologically. Hold on. Let me stop you right there. You just hit an important point. Psychologically. It's the psychological part part of this. Um, A lot of people get in investing. They get in the game, as Jim Cramer calls it. It's not a game. But they get in the game, and they have some moderate success, and then they start building their bet. They start pushing pushing the chips and further as they and further. build their bet, they will get to the point where they lose. Now, to be successful, the one thing that I have learned in my 37-plus years, to be successful in investing, you have to invest on a regular basis. You just can't do it once in a while. And, if, and you need to take a number of positions because as you take positions, your batting average gets better. And to be successful, it isn't participating when the markets go up, as you said. It's not losing as much going down. So I believe my personal success as an investor has come with my ability to sell. I think I'm a lot better seller than I am a buyer. And, and, and one thing that we say in this office, and this was definitely true in 2008, and of course, you know, this was prior to me joining the family's firm back. Jeff, I know you were here back during the dot-com bubble burst, bursting of the, of the dot-coms, um, is that when, cert- when the markets and times just don't make sense, when what's up is down and what's down is up, when there's times where the market doesn't make sense, it never hurts to get more liquid and lay in the weeds. I know that's an old saying, Dad, that I've heard come out of your mouth for years, way before I even joined the family business, that... It's okay sometimes to raise liquidity and lay in the weeds until things get a little clearer. Now, it's important for all investors to understand you're never going to have 100% clarity. The waters are never going to be 100% clear. There's always going to be some level of cloudiness. But in situations like the dot-coms, like 2008, uh, even like how you know how the markets have, have started off in the past couple of years, um, things get a little clouded and get a little bit more whipsawish. And sometimes it's better to just kind of raise some cash and lay back until things start to pan out and make a little bit more sense because that's what we've been dealing with is some just counterintuitiveness that we've been experiencing in the market for the past couple of years. You know, and this led me to what we were talking about earlier, rule number one, never lose money, never forget rule number one, this is rule number two. Well, if we were in an environment where government bonds was paying 9%, then a lot of people would be attracted to that. And and there and there's been times in my career when you could do that. And so there's a riskless return that would be that would be historically a good return. Unfortunately, that was occurring when inflation was at twelve, thirteen, fourteen. So you were losing, <laughs> losing to just inflation. like today. Mm-hmm. Just like today if you put too much in bonds versus what each individual person's inflation rate is. But What this really says is what y'all were talking about, is that if you're going to put all your eggs in one basket, if you're going to step out there and take that level of risk, then you are potentially putting yourself in a position to lose a substantial amount of your money and not have enough money to get back into the game, whatever game it is you're playing. 
But, so, but again, but again, we don't look at the market as no, a game. No, it's not a game. It's not a game at all. But if you are if you're a trader, I would say a trader views the market somewhat as a game. I'd agree. If you're an investor, it's a serious game. And so, each individual has to decide what type of is he a trader? Am I an investor, or is this trading money? Is this investing money? So you, there's various pools that you could be doing, but. One thing that you cannot do is you cannot sustain large losses and be a successful investor or trader. So whatever method you use to reduce your losses, your risk, your risk, you're going to have to take that. And if you don't determine a system that allows you to do that, you are not going to be successful. In the long term, absolutely. And, and and see, that's the thing, Dad, is I think for some investors, maybe the traders that view the market as more of a game, more of action, more Vegas style, they have a couple of big wins where they knock it out of the park, and that boosts their confidence, that helps them boost their, their maybe their trading and investing ego psychologically. That's when they start pushing over pushing the chips further and further over the line and bigger amounts of chips, then they strike out. Then they take that loss and then their the psychological aspect of it might be a loss so bad that they say to heck with the stock market, I'm never getting involved in it again. And what we've always advocated and always tried to teach is about a proper balance, about diversification. As Jeff said, not putting all your eggs in one basket, spreading out that risk, or to use a technical term, spreading out your beta. But you can't just spread it out and forget it. You have to continue to actively manage it, actively monitor it. And if you don't, then you need to work with a firm that's going to do that. I I learned many years ago that I was not a successful trader. Trading was not something that I was good at. I was good at looking at a longer picture. It fit my personality better to be an investor, plus by taking a longer-term view, thinking in terms in the stock market of actually owning the company that I was buying I found that that was more successful, and I learned that as a broker. I, I I felt comfortable with that. What I didn't feel comfortable with was potential clients or new clients that had to have action because I don't necessarily think Wall Street is the best place to get action. I think you would be better off to go to Vegas because it doesn't require that much thinking if you need action. If you like to bet on football games. with If you need that fix. If you need that. And there are people that need that. But it, Wall Street can be a very dangerous place for people that need that type of fix. I have not run into that many successful people who have traded the market. I've run into many successful investors, very few successful traders. Well, and I think some some other points you made just a few minutes ago when we talk about risk capacity, about taking a big hit to your portfolio, and again, for continuing investor education, the older you get, the closer you get to your retirement, I guess, date and time as far as your age, your risk capacity gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, you know, and I've run into people who have have very large risk, you know, very small risk tolerance, their personal aversion to risk, but they have huge risk capacity. And when you run into that situation, it's really they have their money invested very lazily. It's, it's very lazy money. 
it's very four and five percent returns when they should be taking advantage of their age. So the younger you are, the greater risk capacity you have. And so you have to really marry risk tolerance and risk capacity into one. Um, and that's, again, something else that we, that we try to teach. So just understand, as you get older, your risk capacity gets smaller, and you have to have your portfolio managed and allocated in a way that reflects that risk capacity. What you see on CNBC, and we don't spend that much time watching any of the other channels, but what we see on CNBC is a parade of traders, Parade of people looking for action, daily action, weekly action, fast money, fast money. You know, everything is geared towards trading. trading. Mm-hmm. That is that segment of the market. That is not a segment that Davidson Capital Management has ever participated in, or would feel comfortable being in. And so, when we sit here and we talk about what we see. We don't necessarily feel that that type of program serves the public to the extent it could. That's right. Well, with that, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. So we'll take the break when we come back. We'll be continuing our investor education, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to cover here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing talking about the best investment advice ever article that comes from Market Watch and the Wall Street Journal. Um, you know, Dad, I, as you were talking in the last segment, you know, you mentioned Jim Cramer's name. And I know there's a segment on his show that he loves to do where people call in and say, am I diversified? And they give him five stock names. And he'll either anoint it as being you're diversified or you're not diversified. And when I watch that, I, to me, it seems like it's a disservice to the investing public because what he is basically um, validating is that it's okay to put 20% of your money in one particular stock position, to hold five individual stocks, and as long as those five individual stocks are in five different industry sectors, then you're okay, you're safe. And I think that is some of the most dangerous advice you could possibly give with with his type of background and acumen as a money manager, or as a hedge fund manager, I should say. Well, I, I, I don't agree with it. Dangerous. Uh, it's dangerous if you don't watch your eggs real close if you only got five. Uh, <laughs> you're, making, uh, I mean, you're making big bets in, in on the, five in the, companies. In the, beginning, in the beginning, when I created uh, the philosophy, uh, it became apparent to me that I didn't ever want more than 5% in anything because I learned very quickly that if I bought 5% uh, of your assets in one individual well, position. Yes. If I bought 10 positions, 3.5 of them were going to be losers, but I loved all 10. Mm-hmm. And so when I got it out to 20, then I'm going to have six losers in normal markets. Mm-hmm. And the key was having the six losers not be big enough losers to overset the profits 
that were in the other 14. Well, if I'm Jim Cramer and five is my diversification, I sure hope it's not my six losers because then my every five, those whole five positions would be losers. So to me, that was not enough positions to be diversified. That was very concentrated. And to be that concentrated, I don't want you to think you're diversified. You are not diversified with five positions. I mean, you might you are, be you might be diversified in the sense that you're in five different industry sectors, but you're making a very large bet on one company in that and, industrial sector. And I'll tell sector. you something else. If you limit yourself to that few of positions, you're either going to do extremely well versus the market or you're going to do extremely badly. You're, you're not going to crash do average. And burn. You're either going to do real well or real bad. So it's either a home run or a strikeout. Now, you can't build a business on real bad. Mm-mm. Now, he was successful as a hedge fund manager because he was a trader. He was not an investor. Long term to him could have been one day. So when you hear him discuss that, I mean, he can't do a show and do Am I Diversified and have someone giving 20 positions. So some of his Am I Diversified is for TV. Well, it's for TV. He did it first on his radio show. Mm -hmm. That's where it started. He did that on the radio show. Now, he used to do radio and TV, and his radio show was really a whole lot better than the TV show. He didn't do all that screaming and jumping around like he does, and he would just talk, which I found better for investors to listen to. He was more investor-oriented as opposed to trading. So us saying that we believe you ought to have 20 positions gets back to this fact that we don't want more than 5% of any person's assets in one position. And we say that even in your company stock. If you're investing in your company stock, the stock where you work. Three or 401 Yeah, we don't want more than 5% of your retirement money in the company stock. And I don't care how great the stock is. Because I happen to have seen times in my life where I worked for companies where people put a lot much, lot more in that, and then the companies went out of business. They not only lost their job, but they lost their retirement. And I, I can tell you that Jeff and I see this doing portfolio, doing portfolio reviews a lot with the petroleum industry employees, putting a lot of their retirement nest egg through 401ks in their company stock. And it's great to be supportive and it's great to love where you work and love who your employer is but you also have to kind of be a little selfish and think about your own retirement needs and your own retirement nest egg and not take too big of a bet because again harkens back to Enron it harkens back to WorldCom I mean it harkens back to those employees years ago who lost their nest egg because there was a lot of cheerleading from upper-level management to buy, keep keep funneling as much money in it as possible. Not saying that any companies in existence today are you know doing some of the fraudulent things that that these companies were doing, but you always have to look out for kind of number one. I mean, you have to look out for number one when you're saving for retirement. And you know, another thing that I like to teach, particularly when it comes to long-term investing, and when it comes to performance. I always like to use the analogy is you have to look at your investment returns like a batting average, like a batting average for a baseball player. You know, let's use Ted Williams or let's use Tony Gwynn. Uh, you know, rest, may he rest in peace. Let's use him as an example. You know, baseball players can get into the Hall of Fame 
with having a great lifetime batting average. But throughout their career, throughout the lifetime of them stepping up to the plate, they're going to have years where they underperform, where they don't have a good year at the, uh, up at the plate and they don't bat very well and they have low numbers. And then they're going to have other years where they have some average years. And then they're going to have some great years where they're knocking the cover off the ball. But what determines whether or not a baseball player gets into the Hall of Fame is their lifetime batting average, and it's the combination of all of those years and how they've performed. It's the same thought process and the same thought pattern you need to have when it comes to investing. You're going to have some below average years. You're going to have some just average years, and you're going to have some great years. But the key is is to have more great years than bad and average years to get your portfolio to the Hall of Fame. Well, here's a little commercial coming in here. Twenty five. This is our 26th year, and I was talking about I'm starting my 38th year as a manager. There was 12 years in there before Davidson Capital Management was formed in which I developed our philosophy. And I developed it managing money under three or four different corporate situations where I learned what was working and what wasn't working. And, you know, I learned on other people's money, so to speak. But I learned through those years that 100% equity made no sense. 100% bond made no sense. But the two could work together in combination. But what I found was there wasn't, there were fixed income people and there were stock people. There wasn't both. You didn't see the hybrid you didn't see the manager that could do both sides. And so as I, as I developed our philosophy, I learned that it made more sense to be 10 years and under. It made more sense to stick with quality because by sticking with quality, you took risk out. By having stocks and bonds, you took risk out. And by doing that, you raised your batting average. You made the whole shallower when you were losing in stocks, you were making in bonds. And so in the beginning, oh, yeah, everyone knows the most money you can make is to be 100% in the stock market. And it works really good until 1987 rolls around and it goes down 25% in one day. That doesn't work very well. That wipes out a number of years in about four hours. And you learn, hey, this doesn't make a lot of sense. And same thing in the late 90s. Oh, yeah, it was wonderful when the dot-coms were going crazy, but it didn't look real good late in 2000, 2001, and two. And, you know, staying the course was really great in January, February, March of 2008. It wasn't very great in November, December 2008. Or, or January, February. there might not be a course to <laughs> stay. Nine. You might not have had enough course to, to, to have a meal. Well, and again, that goes back to what we talked about a few segments ago about the psychological damage. And I know that we've talked on past shows here on Money Wise where we've talked about the psychological effects when you take these kind of losses and how, again, it, it creates that emotion and that fear. And when fear and emotion start combining into your portfolio, it keeps you sitting on the sidelines or it keeps you less invested in stocks to to really try to achieve and reach your goal for whatever you're saving for, and we're still seeing that today. I mean, again, we're seeing it today because we see the volatility. If there's more participants, more investors in this market, more mom-and-pop investors, we wouldn't see this extreme levels of volatility that we've been seeing. 
If we tax day trading, we wouldn't have this extreme volatility. Or if having. we tax high frequency trading or got Which high would, frequency well, trading under control. That's that's what I'm saying. That would take care of that problem. The problem is is that high frequency trading is paying the note for the New York Stock Exchange. That's how they're making their money. They are never going to go against that. For something to change in that market, it's going to have to come from outside. It's not going to come from within Wall Street. Well, really what we have to have, Dad, is we have to have a nonprofit exchange. We have to well, have yeah. a nonprofit you exchange. You guys will see that. I'm, I'm convinced. You think Jeff and I will see I a nonprofit really think exchange you will, I really think you in will our see career. that in your lifetime. You will see a national market. I mean, because that will take away the incentive for the high-frequency yes. trading. I, I, and I, it'll be I welcome. It'll be somewhere in the central part of the country, away from Wall Street. I, I welcome that day. I welcome the day to where we see a nonprofit exchange and maybe just a one central exchange. Let me correct you. Jeff may not see it. I think you will see it, Kyle. <laughs> well, we're not that far away in age, so uh, it's only about less than 10, ten years. years in there. All right. Well, let's take our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-275. Two one six two, and if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So going back to this article, there was a couple of other statements, and these actually come from Ben Franklin, and and one of them is an investment in knowledge pays the most interest. And again, one of the reasons why we started this radio show back in late two thousand and five was. Because it gave us a podium, it gave us a platform to provide education because there's just, uh, there's such a lack of education out there. And it seems like a lot of the education that is available has a particular bent. You know, it's trying to push you in a certain direction as an investor to buy an investment product that's being sold by the uh, financial legacy distribution system you know, as we like to call it, it always seems that education is kind of pushing you one direction or another, and we're trying to provide unbiased education. And as we always say to all investors is that, you know, there are so many tools available online for you to educate yourself. You know, when a a pitch sounds too good to be true, it, it most likely is, and there's a lot of vehicles out there to help you to educate yourself. And so as Benjamin Franklin says, an investment in knowledge pays the most interest. You really have to you have to really let that kind of soak into you and utilize the tools available. You know, if you want to look up the broker that you're working with, go to brokercheck.com. You know, someone's pitching you an investment product. Before you sign on the line and which is dotted, look it up. Do some research. Educate yourself. You know, as we say, if you can't explain it to a five-year-old or a 10-year-old in two or three minutes and get them to understand that then you're probably, it's not a good idea to buy. Um, Another statement is beware of expenses. A small leak will sink a great ship. And boy, how many times have we seen that, Jeff? You know, expenses is 
one thing that is easiest to control if you understand that you're getting charged more more fees than than you think you are to begin with. And I see this a lot with we see this a lot with annuities. Um, annuities, I think, are probably one of the biggest Drain. challenges. I would say drains on, know, on the, assets. The biggest challenges to a portfolio being successful is is owning an annuity inside that portfolio, because you're you're basically guaranteeing that you will never even equal a market average performance. Because the fees and expenses built into the, the, the annuity itself, even if it has the best possible investment options, and trust me, the average annuity does not have the best, the best uh, investment choices possible. When you add up average investment choices with high expenses, you're guaranteed to be below average consistently year after year after year after year. And they're still sold. They're they're still successfully selling them to investors every single day. And we've in the ten years that we've done this show, we've almost made this our personal uh, mission. Mission. There you go. <laughs> it's a personal Cru- mission. To, Cru- to, crusade. To, yeah, I like that. To steer crusade. people away from these types of investments. Now, there's also many other violators. You know, av- uh, uh, the the average loaded mutual fund carries uh, an initial sales charge that's equal to multiple years of professional full-time investment management just to buy into the mutual fund itself. They, you know, a minimum, you know, anywhere from 2 to 3% to as almost as much as 6% uh, is very common in an upfront sales charge. Another thing is buying stocks. You know, just buying stocks through a full service broker. And you're you're the average ticket price that I see from an from a full service broker is about two percent of the gross purchase. And that is outrageous. So, you know, for five thousand dollar purchase, you're paying two hundred and fifty dollars in transaction costs. I mean that's 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 a that's Twenty times more. That's twenty times more you'd pay at a at a at a discount brokerage firm. You better be getting good advice if you're paying that kind of fee. Well, well, if that broker is giving you good advice and covers the two percent, that's one thing. But you and I both know, unfortunately, the vast majority of them do not. Well, the one thing again, talking about fees and and what I I like to to do for any individual investor out there is to understand the two big types of fees. You have your hard dollar fees and your soft dollar fees. Your hard dollar fees are your upfront commissions. You know, those are the commissions that you see when you buy that mutual fund or you buy that stock and you pay that commission and you see it come right off the right off the top. You see that difference in what you're investing and what you actually paid and what was actually invested. That's a hard dollar cost. But where annuities, where non-traded real estate investment trusts uh, where even mutual funds, once you get past that initial sales fee, really get their investors or get their clients is on the soft dollar side. Those are the fees that are accrued daily and taken out daily that you never see. When you get your statement from your, annu- from your annuity, 
that's net of those soft dollar fees. When you get a statement about your stocks or your individual mutual funds, it's net of those soft dollar fees. Those are the fees that you don't see. Those are the fees that you also need to be asking about. And if you're sitting down and someone's pitching you an annuity and you ask them, well, what are the soft dollar charges, they're not going to know what to do. They're not going to know what to do, and they're going to start trying to provide you with the half-truths of what you're actually Well, they're, they're going to focus on these guaranteed returns. The G word. Yeah, the, yeah they're going to focus on the G word. Which, again, is not a guarantee. It's just a promise, and it's only as good as the company providing the promise. They're going to say, don't you want... 5% a year guaranteed income for the rest of your life. Don't you want that, Mr. or Mrs. Customer? And it's not quite that simple. Nope. And what they're talking about is the published interest rate, which changes monthly. It's just that hook to get you to sign on that line, and which is dotted to get you into that long surrender charge penalty period so they can lock your assets up. So you have to understand the difference between hard dollar costs and soft dollar costs. And soft dollar costs are in the prospectus. Soft dollar costs are in the information, but you have to know what you're looking for, and you have to dig deeper, as we've always said from day one on this program. And to really summarize this hour is you have to dig deeper well, and use the tools available to educate yourself before yeah, number, you make that investment Number one, decision. be diversified. Number two, know what you own. Do the research, dig deeper, as you say, and number three, have a always have a mind on what it's costing. That's right. Okay, and with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us at nine zero six zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five. 2162. For my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.